0: Whether you're traveling for work or fun, everybody loves a deal. Check out Rooms for Vacation for up to 50% off your hotel, resort, Airbnb, car rental, and more. That's Rooms, the number four, vacation.hotelplanner.com. April Nicole Geyer and Rosanna Forcum were an unlikely friendship on the outside. But despite the odds, the two were friends, likely bonding over some of their troubles in life. April Geyer was a 21 year old young woman in 1998. She had a young son and was struggling with depression. Her boyfriend had died from drowning the year before, and April was having a hard time dealing with it. Rosanna Forkham was just 15 years old in 1998. She, along with her little sister, Jamie, was being raised by her single dad in Saint Cloud, Minnesota. Her mother had left the family and moved to Texas in nineteen ninety seven just the year prior. In August of nineteen ninety eight, the two girls left April's apartment in Milaca, Minnesota. It is possible the two attended a party that night, but that hasn't been a hundred percent confirmed. April and Rosanna would never be seen or heard from again. Where are April, Nicole Geyer, and Rosanna Forkum? Hello, and welcome back to the Where Are They podcast. If you are new to the show, our goal is to spread awareness of unsolved missing persons cases. We prefer to cover the cases that have received little to no attention in the media, the cases that tend to be overlooked. In addition to all podcast platforms, you can also find the Where Are They podcast on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. And because we really want to cover those lesser known cases, we really rely on getting case suggestions from our listeners. If there is a case that you'd like to see us cover, maybe one from your hometown or one you remember hearing about briefly, please send an email to canwefindthem at gmail.com. Or you can always DM me on Instagram at the Where Are They podcast. This week, we will continue to put our efforts into covering cases of missing Indigenous women, which is our focus for the month of October. We will be donating all monies raised from Patreon and our online merch store to the MMIW organization, which focuses on missing and murdered Indigenous women. The case of April, Nicole Geyer, and Rosanna... Borgham came suggested to me by a listener, Rhonda. Thank you so much for sharing this case with me. This is an interesting story as both girls vanished together without a trace. April is of Indigenous background and Rosanna is listed as Caucasian. And even though this happened back in 1998, the families still actively search for answers, especially Rosanna's father. Before we jump into their story, a quick thank you to this week's featured partner, Hunt a Killer. As we come into the colder weather months, Hunt a Killer is the perfect at-home game for those of us that love to put the pieces together and solve a mystery. This subscription box game features a different case each season and can be done with family, as a date night activity, girls' night, or even something you can do totally on your own. Hunt a Killer is a murder mystery subscription box where a detective enlists your help in solving a murder. This detective sends you a box with letters, documents, clues, and evidence every month. With each box, you'll be able to eliminate a suspect and get one step closer to cracking the case. Evidence you receive can be autopsy reports, crime scene photographs, personal effects of characters involved in the story, newspaper articles, and more. Enter the world of Hunter Killer in the newest season, Curtain Call. Totally immerse yourself in a cold case from the 1930s with consequences in the present day. Can you bring justice to the Cadence Theater? This is your opportunity to see what kind of detective you would be. Use our link in the show notes or post it on our social media for 20% off your first box. It's always odd when one person seems to just disappear into thin air, but two together? How do two people leave a home together? and no one ever sees or hears from them again. April Nicole Geyer was born July 9th, 1977. She was living in Malacco, Minnesota in 1998, and I'm not sure if she lived on her own or with family. Reports just say on the day of August 14th, she was seen leaving her apartment. Rosanna Forkum was much younger than April, six years in fact. Rosanna was born on December 3rd, 1982. Rosanna, who often went by Rosie or Rose, lived in St. Cloud, Minnesota. I'm not sure how Rose and April became friends. St. Cloud is 30 miles away from Milaca, Minnesota, and I do apologize if I'm pronouncing that wrong. But with such little information on their background, we really don't know how they came to be such good friends. In 1997, Rose's mom left and moved to Texas, leaving Rose and her younger sister, Jamie, to live with their dad. That year, Rosanna began to struggle with school and missed so many days that she was actually assigned to go to a special program for kids with behavior issues. Her issue in particular was truancy, and she would spend some time during the summer of 1998 in that special program. Like many of these cases that go underreported, we don't know a whole lot more about Rose's and April's life before their disappearance, and even reports their actual disappearance vary from source to source. For example, the date they were last seen. Some have it listed as August 12th, August 10th, and some August 14th. And I even found a source that said August 17th. It seems that most reports do say August 14th, and that was a Friday. So for the purpose of this podcast I'm going to go with the fact that the date they were last seen was Friday August 14th. So on that day April and Rose were at April's apartment in Malacca. When they left that day they walked out of the house together. Some say they went to a party that night, but I don't know that that was 100% confirmed. When they didn't come home Both families thought they had run off together. They had done that before, although in the past, they would call home and let their families know that they were all right. So, of course, in the beginning, that's what both families thought was going on. However, when a week went by with no sign of either girl, the panic really began to set in. April's family had concerns that April might have gotten involved with drugs, April also had a young son that was at her mother's house. April's family was also very concerned about her behavior over the last year. Losing her boyfriend the year before had been devastating and April had been battling depression ever since. Rosie's father was also deeply worried. His daughter, after all, was only 15 years old. He knew he had to stay strong for Jamie, Rose's younger sister, but he became obsessed with finding Rose. He was a devoted father and loved his girls. He worried about them both constantly, especially since their mother had left and moved to Texas just the year prior. And when I wondered how 15-year-old Rose and 21-year-old April became friends with their age difference... I think about how they each went through their own tragic life experiences in 1997. Perhaps they bonded through their shared pain. When the girls were initially reported missing, authorities believed they had run off. Not only did they have a track record of doing just that, but there was also just no evidence to prove otherwise. Although, to be fair, there was absolutely no evidence pointing anywhere. Questioning people who knew the girls, their other friends and acquaintances, led absolutely nowhere. Two weeks after the girls vanished, Rose's father had an experience that led him to believe the girls, at least his Rosie, were no longer alive. He was sleeping when he suddenly woke up to his daughter's voice. He heard Rose calling his name. Not just calling his name but screaming it. He jumped out of bed and ran out of his room only to realize she was not there. That incident led him to believe that he was hearing Rose's last words and that she had been killed. He said it was so vivid and he believes in his soul that she is gone. There was a little media exposure on the girls, but not a ton. Authorities still believed that the girls had likely just run away. And it would be a year and a half before any other developments would take place in the case of Rose Forcom and April Geyer. An informant came forward claiming to know what happened to the girls. He said that he and his friend had picked up the two girls hitchhiking the night of August 14th. He said that it was April and Rose. They took the girls back to the friend's house where the friend continued to strangle them, killing them both. The informant then said he helped his friend bury their bodies in Wadena County near the Leaf River. Police did take this information very seriously, and several lengthy and thorough searches were done in that area. They brought in equipment and dug up so much earth that the Department of Natural Resources told them they actually altered the flow of the Leaf River, which to me looks like a large creek, not really a big river. They brought in search dogs, including cadaver dogs. However, after many, many days of searching, nothing was found, at least nothing that law enforcement has told the public about. There were some rumors that something that had belonged to Rose had been found, but I want to clarify those statements are just rumors. Whether they are true or not remains to be seen. The question then is, was the informant telling the truth? Law enforcement says it's possible, but it's also possible that he was lying. And there isn't much detail about this informant to look into, such as, was he maybe convicted of something else and was trying to bargain for a reduced sentence? But if he was lying, would that even work in his favor? He could also be one of those psychopaths that lie about committing crimes for attention. Although, for the life of me, I'll never understand that but I guess their brains just don't function normally or could it be that he was telling the truth and just wanted to come clean and confess or maybe he was telling partial truths I don't understand how he could have just stood by while his so-called friend murdered two girls and then he just volunteered to help him bury the bodies I have a lot of questions regarding that, and a lot could probably be answered easily, but not much has come out in the media regarding it. Another big question I have in this case, where are the other people that were at this alleged party? No one has come forward to publicly state anything, not so much as I can tell anyways. Such as, Did we confirm that the girls were actually there? Did they leave the party walking and hitchhiking? Is there any truth to that at all? Was there anything or anyone suspicious at this party? And I do even wonder if this was a real actual party or maybe they were just at a friend's house. It reminds me a little bit of the story of Jeremy Bechtel and Aaron Foster. I covered their case back in June. The two were at an alleged party and then left together in Aaron's car and were never seen again. But the stories and details revolving around that supposed party are also murky. Some say it was a party and others say they were just visiting a friend. So with the little bit of information we do have on Rose and April, what are the theories in this case? Theory number one, Rose and April ran away. I can see why this might have been believed in the beginning. Two young people, each with their own struggles, and with a history of disappearing together before. It makes sense. What doesn't make sense is that here we are 23 years later with still no sign of Rose and April. Does anyone still believe that they just ran away and never contacted the family? April even had a young son, a boy that was taken in and raised by April's mother. Would April not even call to check in on him? I personally think it's unlikely that these two are still runaways. I do think it's possible that they ran off at first, maybe intending to stay away for a short time, or maybe even trying to start fresh somewhere else. But for all this time to go by without so much as a word from either girl, maybe they did Run off and met with foul play or an accident of some kind afterward. It's hard when people have a history of doing that or a history of behavioral problems, drug problems, etc. It's difficult to understand, at least in the beginning, what might be going on, where to look, not only for law enforcement, but for friends and family also. And we know that time is of the essence in missing persons cases which make these situations even all the more difficult. Especially as time goes by, you have to wonder, what if people had reacted sooner? Theory number two, the informant's story is correct. Despite nothing being found that we can confirm, this is still possible. Police haven't ruled it out either. The searches were very thorough, and in addition to digs and law enforcement looking, they brought in search dogs, cadaver dogs, they didn't find anything to solve this case. There are many cases of missing persons found in an area that had been thoroughly searched before, so it still is a possibility that they are still out there. And without being able to research this particular informant, I can't really develop my own opinion on this one. I think it could be possible and I think it could be made up. Each possibility seems like it could be true. So I'd say I'm 50-50 on this one until more evidence is given that will help us make an educated guess. Theory number three, foul play at the hands of someone else meaning someone unrelated to the informant's story. Did the girls find themselves in the wrong place at the wrong time? Was there something going on at this party? Was there something going on in the way of drugs? And if April was involved in drugs, did the girls get involved in something they shouldn't? We know both girls were struggling a bit and maybe starting to go down a troubled path. Did this lead them to someone that caused them harm? The fact that they vanished together and were last known to be together do lead me to believe that the same thing would have happened to both of them. But if they were killed what did the killer do with their bodies? And unfortunately, not having more evidence, the answers to that question could be endless. They could have left the area and be anywhere. Theory number 4, an accident. Were the girls driving somewhere and were in a car crash maybe the vehicle just hasn't been found this is a possible theory that came up in the Aaron Foster and Jeremy Bechtel case also and while the fact that it's been 23 years since Rose and April vanished does make it harder for them to stay hidden but it's definitely possible In 1970, three people went missing on the way to a high school football game in Oklahoma. In 2014, their car and their bodies were pulled from a lake. The car was actually found accidentally while police were testing new sonar equipment. Their bodies, officially identified by DNA, were underwater for 44 years. In May of 1971, two teenage girls, Cheryl Miller and Pamela Jackson, were on their way to a college party at an old gravel pit. The girls would never be seen again until the 2013 drought when a creek bed started to dry up. Someone noticed a tire sticking up out of the water and the girls in their car were finally found 42 years after they vanished. So it can happen even after so many years have gone by. But what I wonder about in this theory, nowhere in their case files does it mention if April had a car. I'm going to assume that at 15, Rose didn't, but I'm not sure about April. In their missing person's report, if there had been a car missing with them, it's usually noted. But even if they didn't, could they have hopped in a car with someone else? Someone else who is also missing and the cases haven't been connected yet? Someone from a different area, maybe, or even someone who lives a transient lifestyle and was never even reported missing? I suppose it's possible. Daniel, Rose's father, has never given up in the search for his daughter. Despite his beliefs that she is no longer alive, he wants to find her. He wants to have answers and to have closure. Daniel said at one point, while working all day at his janitorial job, he would come home and work all night searching for answers about his missing daughter. He took her disappearance hard and even to this day, still buys a birthday cake every December 3rd to celebrate Rose's birthday. Rose would turn 39 years old this winter. That's a long time for a father, for a family to go without answers. Rose is described as a Caucasian female, five foot five inches tall and 110 pounds at the time of her disappearance. She had brown hair and brown eyes, It is not known what she was wearing at the time of her disappearance. April is described as biracial, Native American and Caucasian. She was 5 foot 2 inches tall and weighed 140 pounds at the time she was last seen. She had brown hair and brown eyes. She also had a peace symbol tattooed on her left middle finger and a tattoo of a winged heart on her left shoulder. She was possibly last wearing a black oversized T-shirt with biker shorts or jean shorts. Law enforcement is still actively seeking tips on this case. If you have any information as to the whereabouts of April Geyer and or Rosanna Rose Forkham, please contact the Millie Locks County Sheriff Department at three two zero. or the Minnesota BCA tip line at 877-996-6222. Let's help these families get some answers. Someone must know something. And remember, sometimes it's the smallest bit of information that can break a case. Something as simple as helping law enforcement put a timeline together. If you had any connection or saw April or Rose at any time in August of 1998, I encourage you to reach out to authorities. I hate to think of Rose's father with another birthday cake this December and still no answers. Thank you all so much for listening to the story of Rose Forkham and April Geyer, two young women who haven't been seen or heard from since 1998. Please remember to give us a follow on social media and watch for case updates. We also want to hear your feedback and encourage you to send us those case suggestions. Last week's case of Kimberly Bearclaw is now up on YouTube. Please go give it a watch and subscribe to our channel if interested. This helps these cases get more exposure. And of course, a big thank you to this week's featured partner, Hunt Killer. Remember, supporting our partners helps keep the show going week after week. Thank you all so much again for tuning in to this episode of Where Are They? We will be back again next week with another Unsolved Missing Person episode. And until then, stay safe and hug your loved ones.